Good morning. Good morning, Bucks fans. Hope everyone is doing well. Casey Phillips here with Scott Smith. It is time for Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Uh, first of all, of course, I want to honor Veterans Day. So uh, happy Veterans Day. Thank you so much to everybody who has served, is serving, family members of people who have served. Um, you know, I mean, it, we want to honor all of you guys every day. Veterans Day is just a very specific, special time, but um, the Buccaneers love honoring military families and everything you guys do. So first of all, thank you to all of you guys for the veterans. Um, now when we're going to start out, I know that this game we're, we're talking about before the show, like, oh boy, this is going to be <laughs> fun to discuss. So we need all of your questions. We want to hear what you guys want to know, what you want to talk to us about. So if you're not already watching on Facebook, make sure you head over there. You can leave your questions for us in the comment section as we give people a chance to do that. Um, we can start by just some of the, the takeaways of now that we've heard from a lot of the teams since the game in press conferences, what it feels like they have learned from that game, their mindset moving forward, some of the things that you've heard people say. Well, actually, the only people we've heard from so far, are Bruce, uh, I mean, other than post game uh, this week are Bruce and Levante. And of course, uh, because it wasn't a victory Monday, the players were in the building and to approximate in a non-COVID year what would be open locker room on Monday, uh, they got us a player for a Zoom call. And of course, it was Levante David. He's the stand-up guy who has to stand in front of the, the camera, or sit in front of the camera in this case and, uh, and, and answer for that game. And he did a great job of it. And essentially, the idea is you can't say it didn't happen. Uh, you can't say it didn't matter. You have to own it. You have to break it down and learn from it and find out what you did wrong. Uh, do your best to correct whatever that was. And then you have to move on. And that's what they've done from now. And, you know, big losses like this, they sting. Um, you can't even necessarily say this one only counts as one of 16 like all the rest because it was a, a division game that, that really carried a big tiebreaker issue with it that the Bucks are now behind the eight ball on. But – it doesn't have to linger, and it generally doesn't. I just was looking through um, games where the Bucks lost. Every team has games where they've won or lost by a huge amount of points, and uh, it doesn't have any future indicator even to the next week of what's going to happen. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen the other side of it. We demolished Green Bay, surprisingly, 38-10, to 10, and they won their next game. So uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to carry on, but I think – in order to make sure that doesn't happen, you have to learn the right lessons from it. And that's certainly what they're trying to do. Absolutely. We did get a chance to see uh, the first look at A, Chris Godwin back and B, Antonio Brown into the lineup and basically having all of your wide receivers at least available for the game. We know that maybe Chris was still a little bit limited potentially by the finger and that kind of thing. But, you know, there, there are still some, some little nagging injury situations. But everybody was available. This is our first look at that whole group. What do you feel like we learned from seeing that? Well, Chris caught the ball well. Uh, that's that's a good thing, and uh, he's a tough guy, obviously. And he's I learned we learned a couple things. One, it's so obvious how important Chris is to this offense. Uh, there were, if you count plays that were erased by penalty, there were fifty plays, and he was on the field for forty-seven of them, <laughs> which is more than any of the other receivers. Uh, so they didn't take it easy on him in his return. And then also of all of the snaps, there were 46 plays that counted and the Buccaneers were in three or four receiver sets on 40 of them. And this is what we were talking about the last couple of weeks, even before the arrival of Antonio Brown, uh, that it just looked like the Buccaneers were going to try to attack with a lot of three and four receiver sets just because there's so much talent at that position. Uh, obviously, nothing worked in this game, and I don't think we can use it as a good barometer for whether or not 
that's the right way to go. I think we have to see a little bit more of it, and I think we can definitely excel with three and four receiver sets. Um, it didn't really work out in this game, but I still think we're going to see a lot of that. So uh, Antonio Brown played about 37 snaps, which or maybe 39, which Coach said afterwards that wasn't really the plan. But that game spiraled out of control, and you were trying your best to pass your way back into it. So that's kind of how that happened. Okay, and uh, we had a question from Anthony about the ways that our different cornerbacks are being used. Um, he mentioned the idea of Sean Murphy Bunting seeming to be in the slot position more, Jamel on the outside, and, and just where you see is well, – I mean, we know Carlton is our, our number one you know, guy, but where you've seen some of the other corners being used. Well, Sean is working in the slot more. He was already taking all of the uh, snaps in the slot in the nickel package. It's just he was starting – along with Carlton as the two outside guys and then moving into the slot with Jamel Dean coming in to play the outside in those snaps. And those are the majority of your snaps, usually from 55 to 60% of your snaps in a game are in the nickel. Um, the difference now is that Jamel Dean is starting. So Sean, the last couple of games has only been playing the nickel. And again, I, I say only, but it's a ton of snaps. So more, more often than not, they're all on the field. Uh, but the difference is Jamel Dean playing 100% of the snaps now on the outside. And I think that's just, you know, it's funny because we were getting a lot of questions in the first couple, like six weeks. Uh, do you think that maybe Jamel Dean will get a chance to start outside? And, and, now it's, and we always said, sure, it could happen. I mean, if you make enough plays, it's kind of undeniable that you need to be on the field. And I think that's just what has happened with Jamel. So uh, that's really the biggest change. Otherwise, there's not a big difference. Okay, and uh, Russ asked, is there any chance we will get Allie back on the line this Sunday? And then I wanted to just kind of add to that how you felt like Joe Haig did stepping in for him. Well, this is – we've talked about this before. The timing of the show makes some of these questions hard to answer. And with the concussion, uh, it really – these first couple of days are probably going to tell us on the injury report what the chances of that are because it was pretty obvious from the beginning of the week – last week that he wasn't going to come off the concussion protocol in time. Uh, Coach Arians didn't, uh, and I think just probably for strategic reasons on Monday, didn't elaborate very much on that, only to say that he was still in the concussion protocol, which you have to be because part of that is returning to practice. That's one of the steps in getting off of concussion protocol. And since he hadn't practiced at all last week, he by necessity has to start this week in a concussion protocol. Now, what we don't know from Bruce's answer, since there wasn't much to it, is is that the reason why he's still in the concussion protocol and he's going to start practicing this week or he's not that close to returning? And there's no telling with a concussion. Uh, really, they can vary quite a bit in severity. Chris Godwin only had to miss one game earlier this year and was pretty much ready to go in the second week. So all you can do is hope that that's the same thing with Allie. But if we were answering this question on Thursday and Friday, we'd probably have some more concrete information. Uh, it's just So just stay tuned to what you see on Buccaneers.com and on our Twitter feeds. Um, as for J Joe Haig, uh, Joe Haig and, and Donovan Smith on the left side there, uh, Bruce Arians didn't shy away from the fact that it wasn't the best possible performance from Donovan. As, and part of that was because him and Joe hadn't had a lot of time to work together and Donovan and Ali Marpet just worked together so well. So uh, I think that was part of the breakdowns there. So actually Bruce said Joe Haig played fine. Uh, and uh, I, I think the bigger deal was more them two working in concert. And if they have to do it again this week, you would hope that they've made some progress in that regard. Okay. And uh, Brandon asked, why do you feel like Brady isn't targeting Mike Evans as much? I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not in his head. Um, it's clear from what the coaches say that 
They do want to get the ball to Mike more often. They've done some things like put him in the slot in three and four receiver sets. Um, Coach Arian said on one play that there, I think it was a failed third down that um, the ball went to, I think, Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski, and, and Mike was open. Um, I certainly don't think there's any specific purpose to it. It just hasn't happened. But it picked up a little bit. It didn't – you know, he wasn't getting targeted much in the first half in that game, but he got targeted a lot more in the second half. So I, I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to it. I don't think it's a trend. I think it's just something that has happened. Um, I keep expecting to see a couple more big breakout games from Mike. You know, he does have a couple of 100-yard games this season. There have been games where Tom Brady has targeted him a lot. Um, I, the overall answer is the ball has really been spread around a ton. This, this team has 10 different guys with 10 catches, which is kind of incredible. Uh, so I think it's a bit of that there's a lot of weapons and then it's a bit just fluky. Right. Um, we also had a question about if uh, we're seeing the effects of Vita being out potentially, if that's affected, you know, the push they've been able to get stopping the run. Like, have you seen um, overall what the result has been of him being out and how the guys have been able to try to step in for him? A little bit. I mean, right after Vita went out, the run defense stayed pretty strong. Uh, the one two weeks ago, I mean, that broke our streak of not allowing 100 yards, but it was 101 yards, and a lot of that had to do with Daniel Jones running the ball. They don't get over 100 without the quarterback scrambling for about 30 yards. So that one wasn't that big of a deal. So we're basically talking about one game. It was this one against Alvin Kamara, and then also a whole lot of um, – uh, Taysom Hill, which is not something you normally have to face. And they did get 138 yards. They also didn't need to do anything but run the ball in the second half up by 31 points. Uh, and, and, and from what we heard afterwards, some of that had to do with missed gaps, which really isn't, you know, gap control issues, which really isn't uh, tied directly to whether or not Vita Vey is in there. If the guy was supposed to be in the gap and he wasn't, that would have been the same whether or not Vita was in there. So it, it's – it seems obvious that your run defense wouldn't be as good when you lose one of the best D-line run, nose tackle run stoppers in the league, but I don't think it's really a, a massive issue. I think we're still very good against the run. And then we'll close with this. Christian McCaffrey, not sure if he'll be available on Sunday. Um, just how important is that to the way this game could go and, and what that could mean in terms of how the Bucks prepare for this team? Yeah, well, I don't think they have to prepare differently because what the Panthers have found out is that Mike Davis, while he doesn't really look much like Christian McCaffrey, more of a shorter, more compact guy, uh, is able to run the same plays. He's a very, very good pass catcher. He's actually second in the NFL among, to Kamara among running backs and receptions. So they don't have to change their offense. They can do all the things they do with Christian McCaffrey with Mike Davis. Uh, nobody's Christian McCaffrey. Mike Davis has been very, very good, but he's not Christian. And when you when McCaffrey came back this last week, he immediately got 150 yards and two touchdowns, 150 yards from scrimmage, that is. So obviously the Panthers are better with McCaffrey in there, but the other side of that coin is in the last 18 game or 19 games that McCaffrey has played since the start of 2019, he's reached, he's exceeded 100 yards from scrimmage in 15 of those. So the other four games that he hasn't, one was a 98-yard game against New Orleans last year, and the other three are all against the Buccaneers. So the only defense that has really been able to slow down Christian McCaffrey in the entire NFL the last two years is the Buccaneers. So at least you should go into it confident that even if CMC plays, you do have some, somewhat of an answer for him. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Thanks, as always, for those questions. We will be back here next week. We'll see you then.